straight into today's conversation. Can I get some water? Up? And uh, yeah, let's go for it. So we're in a new series called How to Find Peace in an Anxious World. And in a room, according to reports on mental health in Northern Ireland, in a room this size, they say that there's likely to be one in five of us battling with mental health problems. I'm pretty confident in this room, if there's not one in five of us who are struggling with mental health problems, that we know people within our families, within our connections, within even strangers that we meet at school gates and people that we connect with and collide with in society and through our normal working week. I'm convinced that you will meet people who are struggling with this problem. It's said that we live, the Northern Ireland Survey for Mental Health, experts have said that we live in the age of anxiety. We live in the age of anxiety. Here's some stats. Northern Ireland is reported to have 25% higher overall prevalence of mental health problems than that is in England. Uh, I'm pretty competitive, but I don't like being that competitive. <laughs> it's not a great stat. According to a Northern Ireland Health Survey in 2015, 19% of individuals show signs of possible mental health problem. On an average, more 20 women are 20% more than men, who are 16%, report signs of mental health problems. Similar rates of poor mental health that were reported in 2013 study into the prevalence of mental, prevalence, sorry, of mental health disorders in Northern Ireland, which suggests rates of 23.1% with estimates for each order as 14.6% for anxiety disorders, 9.6% for mood disorders, 3.5% for substance misuse disorders, 3.4% for the impulse control disorders. That will not make any bearings on you today, the statistics, but the reality is when you're faced with this, this will mean a lot this morning. So when life in an age of anxiety that we live in, what do we do? If this is true, if the experts are saying we're living in the age of anxiety, one in five, how do we live? I want to rest, put your minds at rest this morning and your souls at rest, and say that we have access to an eternal Prince of Peace this morning. That may be the statistics, but the statistics don't want we have access to the Prince of Peace who says, who, sorry, who stays the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Regardless of the current uh, of society and, and the trend and the trajectory of history, where we have bouts of depression, when we go through dark times in society, where we have unemployment and we've come out of recession, right throughout the 50s and 60s, society has always known anxiety. Society has always known uh, disorder of peace and mood and depression and all those sorts of things. But yet Jesus still remains the same. And many have called upon his name and found that to be the reality, found God to be their peace. The truth is, is that God is not alarmed nor surprised at the times that we live in. He's already supplied, I believe, solutions and antidotes to the current conundrum. Do you believe that? That's my starting point this morning, that we are not dismayed, that we are not perplexed, that we do know the reality of the age around us, but he has supplied us with solutions and antidotes to the current conundrum that we find ourselves in. And so our guiding text for this series is Psalm 40, and I was going to have Bono here this morning from you 2 to sing it, as he does so well, but uh, I'll just read it for you if that's okay. Is that all right if I do that? He says, I waited patiently, and this is our text, our guiding text throughout this series, as we plug in and, and discover different uh, conversations. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. 
He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to your God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. That's the truth of the gospel and the reality of Jesus this morning. Thank God for his word. We ask that he bless his word to our hearts and to our minds this morning. Thank you that this word is still living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword that is able to divide between soul and flesh. That is breathed on by the Holy Spirit itself. And it accomplishes all that it sets out to do. So we bless the word of God to your hearts and to my heart this morning. So can I begin by asking you a question and probably best not to shout out the answer. How are you doing? Really, how are you doing with the pressures of life? In this age of anxiety, how are you doing? How are you doing? Really, how are you doing with the stress and the uncertainties, the disappointments and the demands on your time that just shrinks you and shrinks you and shrinks you? How are you doing this parenting thing? How are you doing this friendship thing? How are you doing this husband and wife thing? How are you doing this employee thing? How are you doing this employer thing? How are you doing this morning? How are you doing? Would you say that you're thriving or you're striving? Anybody thriving? It's okay to be thriving. It's good to thrive, given the opposite. I'm voting for thriving every time, all time, all day long. Thriving is much better than surviving. And Jesus came to give us life. He gave us life. We all experience anxiety. As we live in this world where there's complex issues, where we just over-information over at times also causes us to be so, so anxious. It's a natural human state, and it's also a vital part of our lives, actually, to have anxiousness at times because it doesn't all have to be bad because it helps us to respond to danger for some of us it'll help us to fight or to flight to run away I always say he who runs my dad always taught me that when we grew up during the troubles and in Lincoln courts up in El Comadere my dad always taught me this one thing he who laughs and runs away lives to fight another day and that was so so true and so so helpful at times there's no point in being Johnny Big Potatoes as one of my friends often coins a phrase Derek Dickey uh, so you don't have to be Johnny Big Potatoes sometimes when anxiety comes the smart thing is to withdraw sometimes it is to say enough is enough the pressure's on I'm going to stand I'm going to fight this and this is not the way that life should be with those complexities sometimes we need to do that it helps us dealing with difficult difficult challenges and also the right amount of anxiety can also help us perform better and listen to this expert say that it stimulates action and creativity do you like it the theme you got to look your eyes over here at the theme do you like it creativity we were anxious this morning we didn't know anybody would come or that you would show up in time but there's another side to anxiety the persistent anxiety that causes real emotional distress can lead us to becoming unwell. At worst, developing anxiety disorders such as panic attacks, phobias, obsessional behaviors. Anxiety at any level can have a truly distressing and debilitating <laughs> impact on our lives. It impacts our physical life as well as our emotional life and our mental health and everything else. And I'm assuring, I'm assuming, sorry, that with me this morning, that you'd rather thrive, that you're here to thrive, not, rather than just get through, rather than just get through. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, he uh, says that before that, he says that there's an enemy of your soul 
that's still rampant and still real today. And he wants to come to kill, to steal, and destroy every aspect of your life. And when he takes from your life, he takes the good things from your life, and he doesn't replace them with anything other than disorder and chaos. And Jesus says, well, that is the truth, but here's the other side of it. I'm more powerful than he is. I'm more stronger than he is. I am the Prince of Peace. You have access to me, and I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it to the very full. Now, life to the full this morning is the target for everyone sitting here on a black chair, unless you're crazy. Right? It's got to be our target. Our number one target this morning is that we want to find life to the full. Can I just get one response if we're on that same page this morning? You want to find life... Three people, okay. <laughs> Preachers say if you find one person in the room, hone in on that one person, as long as one person gets it, you can change society. So I've got three. We're talking revival here this morning. <laughs> but there are a million other things which have the potential to rob us of that experience. But there are things, if we pay attention to, from the reading of Scripture, through the presence of Jesus and the power of my friend, the Holy Spirit, to which that can come and help us to be free to live the kind of life that Jesus actually offers. He does offer that life. It is a reality. Everything in Scripture is real and God-breathed. It's not there to make up pages and space. It's there for a reason. When Jesus says, I've come to give you life, it's an offer. It's an invitation. He's not playing tricks. He's not playing with our emotions. He's not an abuser. He's a lover and a giver and a good, good father. And he wants to free us to live in the offer of life to the full. Even through sometimes hard seasons of life. Have you ever had a hard season of life? People say that when you come to faith in Jesus, that some people expect it to be like a cruise ship. You're in there two weeks and you, you understand that it's a battleship, right? It's like, nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me all that. Personally, I want to live a life which has great impact for the kingdom of heaven. That's my aspirations. I don't know about you, but I want to speak personally this morning. I want to live a life that impacts my children and my children's children. And for me to impact my society, for impact my generation, to impact my children's children, to leave a legacy that's healthy and it's, uh, gives a good, good uh, help up to the society and to the culture that's coming below us. If I want to make good impact, then I understand that I must be a healthy individual. That I've got to thrive and survive. What I want to leave is health. What I want to leave is substance. What I want to leave is impact. And in this broken body, I live under an open heaven, but I stand on a broken earth. And so I'm struggling all the time. I'm living in the age between the kingdom coming and the kingdom has come. But in this moment, I'm reaching into the future of the age to come, as the, the writer to the Hebrews talks about. I'm reaching for that. That's my stance. That's my position today. Regardless of society saying this is the age of anxiety, I want to say this is the age of the kingdom come. And I also I want to say something else. We got the lyrics wrong this morning in the song. A time of jubilee is not come, and a time of jubilee has come because the king has come, and with him comes freedom. With him comes the jubilee. With him comes help for the lame, help for the blind. With him comes help and good news to the poor. Good news has come to the poor, right? We just need to deliver it. We're it. We're it. We're the good news. And so the time of jubilee has come. Guess who's it? We're it. We've got to bring freedom to every sphere of our society. And that's what I'm believing for, for you today. So I'm choosing, I'm choosing, I'm assuming that the fact that you got up on a Sunday morning, I'm choosing that you walked the slope, I'm choosing that you got here on time. You did get here on time, didn't you, Terry? I'm, 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 I'm assuming that you got here on time, that you use your gifts and your opportunities to, that you're, you're not here just to, to get a name for yourself, but you're in here to make an influence and to impact your world. And it's okay to impact. People say, it's not a good thing to impact. Yes, it is a good thing to impact. 
Everything that you do impacts something. Everything that you do does impact your words. In fact, your silence impacts at times. When the chaos is going around the world, when people are gossiping and telling rude jokes in your, your canteen, and you say nothing, you're making an impact. I would say, say something. Say something. We all make impact every day. And so let's make our impact great. Some of you here this morning, you're not in living in the age of anxiety right now. You know, they say that life is uh, never a bed of roses. And just to push the analogy a little further on that, sometimes the thorns on the roses make life a little prickly. Don't they? Yeah, I find that. But some of you are here this morning. You're in a great place. Man, you're firing on all cylinders. You're in a good place in your life, your career, your family life. I do know, however, I do know that this talk is vital for you to stay on that same track. You want to stay there. You want to remain there. You want to remain healthy people. You want to remain firing off four cylinders. You want to remain healthy in your family. You want to remain healthy in your career life. You want to remain healthy in your friendships. You want to remain healthy in your spiritual life and your emotional life. And so if you're not in the age of anxiety, if it's not your experience this morning, if you're not uh, experiencing some of that this morning, I would encourage you to listen to this talk because you want to stay on that same track, don't you? Yeah, of course you do. So 1 Kings is where we're taking the conversation this morning. It's the scripture that we're using and what we're basing our, our um, stuff around this morning. And it's a guy called Elijah who was anointed. And the 1 Kings, let me just give you a backup before I jump into 1 Kings 19 is where we're kicking off at this morning. If you have scripture, turn it in your phone. Please do not put on Facebook, Instagram, or Angry Birds. Uh, but go to uh, your U version if you use that. Uh, also have it up here on the screen. But go and find 1 Kings 19. If you don't know where that is, there's an index at the front of every Bible tells you where the books are, what the page number is, and you can go and find it that way. And so we have this, this guy, he's a king, a prophet, sort of, he's anointed, and he has seen food multiplied like nobody has ever seen before. God uses him to raise a boy from the dead. Anybody ever raise anybody from the dead? I'm still hoping for it, still holding out, tried. Well, this guy has seen that. He's also seen fire fall down from heaven. Anybody discovered that this last week or two, just sort of out in your sort of everyday Peatlands Park, and you call fire down from heaven, and all of a sudden, no, no, this guy has seen that, and a supernatural timed rainstorm in a time of drought, anybody experienced that, can't you use Christians at all, I mean, you don't raise the dead, call down fire or rainstorms in your everyday Monday to Friday life, no, try harder, you could do this. I love this part. And then one time at the end of chapter 18, I was reading this this morning again. I love this part where he tucks his, I was actually going to try it, but I've got a sort of bronchitis thing going on. But he tucks his cloak inside his belt and he runs alongside a chariot and God gives him the supernatural speed and he overtakes the chariot. How cool would that be? <laughs> would you not love like Steve Austin and the Six Million Dollar Man? Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, okay. Wonder where it is. I bet you it's in the attic in my mum's house. <laughs> bet you get a fortune for it. Action man. Ah, I have totally gone in my head to Christmas. <laughs> Evil can evil. An action man. Help me, Jesus, to concentrate. Elijah is the guy we're talking about. But then there's a hitch. There's a hitch with an H. And her name is Jezebel. She's determined to kill him. 
This guy, I want to say about anxiety and depression and stress, people think it's for weak people, but as I read this guy, this guy is a strong man of God. In fact, when the king was going to kill the prophets, he walks out, steps up to the plate and says, are you looking for me? And not only that, he walks into enemy, enemy territory when, they're, when they're, they're, they're sanctioned that all prophets are killed, wiped out, murdered. What he does is he goes into enemy territory and pokes fun at them and says, where's your gods? They all go into the toilet. He does. He says that. Are they all going to the toilet? So he's not a weak man. He's a very powerful anointed prophet who's seen the supernatural, who's seen food multiplied, who's ran as fast as a chariot and overtaken a chariot. He's a pretty, pretty good guy. He's a pretty successful guy in ministry at that time. In his vocation, in his life, he is a very successful guy. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, anxiety and depression comes his way. So 1 Kings 9, 3, we read, after he overtakes the chariot, it says this, he was afraid and he ran for his life. Anxiety sets in, stress, depression. And there a few verses later, we read those sobering words. Here he is, the great man of God, the man of victory, the man who's experienced the supernatural. He says this, have you ever said this? I've had enough, Lord. More serious than that, he's suicidal and he says, take my life. Take my life. I don't know if you've ever sat down with anybody who's been in that state, in that space where life is just brutal, where they've just said, I've had enough, can't take anymore. Uh, I'm not here to do catharsis on you this morning. I'm not here to use you as my counselors. I do want to say that I've experienced sitting on the edge of a bed where somebody has said, I've had enough. God, take my life. And there's nothing that sinks the heart more than those words. Overwhelmed, he just wants out. One thing that strikes me about this story is the timing of it again. Elijah has just experienced the most remarkable success in his ministry. He's a hero. He's a charismatic victor. He's the incredible showdown at Mark, Mount Carmel. And yet immediately, immediately sorry, after the experience, he slumps. He slumps. Have you ever experienced that? They say that most people, that people would say, just assume that people that come out of hit depression come out of it because of hard times and bad times. I only say that it has no time at all. You can be successful, life can be going good for you, and all of a sudden, from nowhere, it hits you, and anxiety creeps in, and depression and stress creeps in. This man has had a successful, he's charismatic, he has a lot of things going on in his life, and all of a sudden, he slumps. Take my life, Father. Take my life. I just don't want to play anymore. I'm afraid. This is too overwhelming. I can't breathe, is what he's saying. It can hit you. This wall can hit you at any time. Stress or depression doesn't always follow the lows. Doesn't always follow the painful. Burnout and folly can happen in the seasons of success and in failure. Evidently, there's more going on in the eternal life of this man called Elijah that contributed to his anxiety and his depression. There were vulnerabilities that we see through this story that Elijah had not been paying a close attention to. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. 
I want to look with you at how God lovingly restores three areas of his life. And I want to leave you with this one valuable truth this morning that I never, ever want you to forget because this truth will actually set many of you free this morning. It will cause you to thrive in life regardless of the circumstances and the seasons. And we'll come back to it at the end. If I forget it, please shout out, give me the most valuable takeaway today, okay? If I forget, give me the most valuable takeaway today. My hope for this conversation this morning is that it brings awareness if there is anxiety in your life. I hope this morning that you experience and realize that God cares about every area of your life. I want that to be a reality this morning. I want you to get more than anything else before we go into uh, this conversation deeper over the next few weeks. I want you to understand, this is the only thing I want you to understand today, that God cares for you. That God cares about every area of your life. God cares about every area of your life and that you are in the heart and mind of a loving Heavenly Father. Can you grasp that this morning? You're in the heart and the mind of a loving Heavenly Father. And so this morning is a bit like going to the gym. You remember you went to the gym years ago and you just rocked up with your Lacoste and whatever and you walked in with your bag and you threw it down the corner and you watched people around the room and you thought, I'll have a go at that. And then you near kill yourself. Well, it's all different nowadays. You just can't rock up at a gym and walk in. You've got to pay these guys an enormous amount of money. Uh, they're rogues. They're uh, worse than lawyers, and they're worse than uh, uh, divorce lawyers, probably. These people, they charge you money to come and do absolutely nothing. They, cause you, they just say, come in. Look at this piece of paper. I don't want to look at a piece of paper. Look at the size of my belly. Do I want to sit and read? I can sit and read at home and eat Mars bars all day long. And so they say, come in, and they give you a checkbook. And so they take and they ask you questions. Have you had heart problems before? Yep. Depression, yeah. Medication, yeah. And then they could tell you to come back on Monday, knock yourself out. And uh, <laughs> so today is a bit like going to the gym, only this is free of charge. Ah, oh, who am I kidding? I hope that you're giving 10% to the local church. <laughs> so it's a bit like a health check this morning. The information that you're, you're gaining this morning, I hope that it takes you, just like the gym, I'm joking about the gym, it takes you on a journey of health. You do have to stop. You do have to weigh up your condition. You still do have to look what's best for your life and what's going to be vital to get you on the path. And so I hope that it helps us to find peace in an anxious world. So three things that God addresses, and he addresses these very well in the life of, of um, Elijah. <laughs> Are you ready? Number one, physical. Here's Elijah. He's physically exhausted. Just physically exhausted. He's hit rock bottom. First, first thing he needs is sleep. First Kings 19.5. Listen to how spiritual this is. Then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. He wakes up to find God has sent an angel to cook him a great meal. That's kind of cool, isn't it? It says in verse 5 and 6, it says this. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. And a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he lay down again. Elijah, he wakes up to the smell of warm, freshly baked bread. Not just oven baked, but baked on fire of coals. It's a pretty cool smell. They say if you're going to sell your house, any, any of those sort of guys talked about the gym guys that's, that stitch you up. Is there any real estate guys? They're the real stitchers up there. He's even willing to raise his hand. Keith is a good friend, and he loves the banter, as they say. <laughs> don't you, Keith? <laughs> they say that, Keith, I don't know. They say that if you're selling a house, that one of the things to have is something like fresh bread 
in the oven, it creates a, a, an aroma and also fresh coffee. So somebody walks into your house, they smell this coffee and they smell the bread, they can't see the paint coming off the walls, the damps in the ceiling or anything else or that the shower's leaking or anything else, but they just say, I've come home. I've come home. And so they say that's the best thing to sell your house. If anybody's trying to sell a house this morning, that one's for free. Break your bread, make your coffee. It's the most amazing aroma for the hungry person. Refreshed with a glass of cool water and eating his full, he lays down again. And when he gets up again, he's more. He has some more, more bread, more water. And only then, having met Elijah's immediate physical needs, does God then begin to also minister to the deeper part of being restored, of him being restored spiritually. Isn't that funny? So I grew up in the Pentecostal movement where the physical body counted for nothing. We were hell-bent on anybody that smoked and drank, but anybody that had five cream buns in a row, hallelujah, Jesus. That was all about fellowship. We used the word fellowship covered a multitude of sins. We never cared for our body. You could run a wreck. You could run for days on and days out. I watched many good preachers with a gift of prophecy who could tell you your name where you lived, watch their marriage fall apart and their family split. There's more to your being than your spiritual being. There's more to life than just your spiritual life. There's your emotional life and also your physical life. And God cares for every part of your life. The first thing that he does is not give him a word from the scriptures. He doesn't quote any other part of the, the, the books of, of the first five books of the Pentateuch. He doesn't do that. He speaks in bread. He sends an angel, a supernatural appearance of an angel comes. And the most supernatural thing that the angel does is bake bread on coals and give him cold water. God cares for your physical need. And sometimes a lot of our anxiety and our depression and our stress is actually a result of our physical being, not being well. One of the best advices I ever got at Bible college, and I uh, did get some advice at Bible college um, after they told me to get a plane and go home. Uh, They did say to me one time, I was suffering from a little bit of depression, they said, the best thing for you, Jason, to do is most afternoons is to close the curtains in your room and lie down and sleep. Best advice I ever got. Sleep is good for you. Spiritually, he's spiritually exhausted. Having had a great connection with God for years, he's lost much of his confidence in God's anointing and sustaining him. He's not seeing things as they should be. The man of God has lost perspective. Have you ever lost perspective? See, people say, if I saw God heal somebody, I would do this. If I saw God open blind eyes, I would do this. If I saw God heal somebody with cancer, I would do this. If I saw God show up financially in my life, I would do this. I would give everything. I would join the ministry, blah, 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 blah. I've seen God open blind eyes. I've seen God heal cancer. I've seen things fall off people physically. I've seen people that are lame get up and walk. I've seen things grow. I've seen eyes see. I've seen ears hear. And there are times in my life when when the dark night of soul comes that I lose perspective and even wonder, where are you? Where are you? It's easy to lose perspective. It's not just the man of God. All of us experience the dark night of the soul. Sometimes we lose perspective. So God calls Elijah to go on a journey to a mountain. I love this mountain. It's not just any mountain. It's a mountain called Horeb. It's a place where God met Moses. It's a place of encounter. It's a place of where the burning bush, you know that Presbyterian tree that goes on fire? It's the burning bush. It's that. It's, 
It's the mountain where God gave Moses. He wrote on the tablet. I don't know that he write in his finger. We can't prove it or not. But he writes the ten laws, those high bar laws, and he gives them to Moses. It was the mountain where God gave Moses the ten commandments. Horeb in the mountain of God where it's referred to in the Mount of Sinai. And it's the mountain here. It's the same place where God meets Elijah. This is a passage that many of you will be familiar with. But I'd love you to consider it afresh and really try to emphasize with Elijah this morning. Would you try and do that with me? Let's just not read it as it is, but let's try and engage emotionally with it this morning. God asked Elijah, and I want to ask you the same question this morning. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I don't mean just sitting on a black seat. I mean, what are you doing here in life? What are you doing in the season that you're in? What are you doing in the space that you find yourself in currently? What are you doing in, in the circumstances that you're in at the moment? What are you doing here? It's just a genuine question. What are you doing here? What are you doing in this season of sorrow? What are you doing in this season of pain? What are you doing in this season of mourning? What are you doing in this season of triumph? What are you doing in this season of celebration? What are you doing in this space? What are you doing in this time, in this generation? What are you doing when politics seem to be uh, imploding? What are you doing when, when chaos seems to be surrounding us? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Elijah answers honestly with his complaint. This is where I am at. This is what's going on. Listen to how God responds. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And I believe that's for some of you this morning, that the Lord is about to pass by, that the Father is going to give you an encounter See, it's his presence, it's his presence, it's his presence, it's his presence. It's always about his presence. All good things happen in his presence. It's his presence, it's his presence. Please believe me, it's his presence that changes things. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by the spirit of the living God. It's my friend that changes your life. It's my friend that will cause you to, to stir up again and to confront the anxiety and the pain. It's my friend, it's my friend who'll get you out of here this morning and get you back into work with a bit of thriving tomorrow morning. It's my friend, it's my friend who I bring with me everywhere. He's my good friend, my faithful friend. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. Then we're familiar with what happens next. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after fire came the gentle whisper. Elijah had to wait for the wind to cease, for an earthquake to take place, and for the fire to pass by. Have you ever felt like that's your season of life? You're just waiting for the wind to cease. Will the storm ever dial down? Will it ever still in my life? Will the earthquake ever stop erupting in my life? Will the fire that seems to consume every part of my finances, my family, my future, will it ever quench itself? And God comes. And God comes. He had to wait for it to cease. Elijah had to wait for the Lord to reveal himself in the gentle whisper. When's the last time you heard the gentle whisper? What are you doing? What are you doing in this place? I wonder how many of us need God to speak into a specific area this morning. We need direction. We need counsel. We need encouragement. There will be times throughout this series that you will receive wisdom and you'll receive prayer. But I wonder if this story lays down a simple challenge for us here this morning, Vineyard Church, Dungana, we need to wait for God's presence. Above everything else, we just need him. We just need him. Elijah experienced God in a powerful, dramatic ways. Like when the fire fell from heaven and it burned up 
a, a drenched offering in Mount Carmel. Yet God reveals himself now in a very personal and intimate way in a gentle whisper, in the softness and the kindness of the Father. I would say this, there's nothing more restoring to the soul spiritually than hearing God speak tenderly to us. <laughs> I've started some new practices. One of them is that I breathe out and I breathe in every morning. I think actually, that's a good thing. I should do that more often, breathe out and breathe in, not just in the morning, but 24 hours a day. But let me just explain. When I breathe out or when I breathe in, I say, I am God's beloved. And I breathe out and I say, He's well pleased with me. You might think, I'm a bit arrogant, but it's the truth of Scripture I need to hear every day. I am God's son more than anything else. Not what I do, not what I've done, not what I will do, but I am his and his always. And we need to learn to breathe in and hear the whisper of the Father say, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. It's funny when Jesus does rend the heavens and the Spirit of God comes down and rests on Jesus before anything else, before Jesus does a single thing, before he heals a single person, before he turns water into wine, he hears the voice of the Father saying, you're my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. He's a good, kind Father. Elijah had experienced God and the powerful and dramatic, but we all need to hear the whisper, the tenderness of the Father. There's something that still the waves, something that still the waves and it's his voice. And it still does it today. He stills the waves today. And it's the voice of heaven. The other thing we see in this encounter is the way God addresses Elijah's emotional needs. As well as his physical and his spiritual needs, as there's these emotional needs. During the mountain encounter, we read in verse 9, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Here is his response. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Look at all the things I've done for you, God. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, I've been slugging my guts out in prophetic ministry, and my life is falling apart. I've done my part, but everything else is crashing around me, and you don't seem to be sorting things out as you've done in the past. Have you ever had that conversation with God? No? Is it just me and Claire? We've got rubber soles on our shoes. Of course we've had that. Do you know, I came here 13 years ago. Abused. Beaten. For the prices in Tesco's. And I've given my life to this place. And sometimes my life feels like it's crawling down around me. Are you listening? I put up with these people every Sunday. They look strangely at me. They never give facial expression away. God, where are you? Bad analogy. You're lovely people. In its tenderness, God allows Elijah to pour out his heart and then he speaks to him. He's not offended with you pouring out your heart when your time is anxiety, your time of depression, time of the dark night of the soul, and times where you just seem that the world is crumb down you. It's okay to have an honest conversation with God. He is not going to fall off his throne because we have some problems and some perspective loss. And he's a kind, kind father. Do you know there's times in our house when I wish my boys would come to me when things aren't going good. 
as much as when they run to me when things are going brilliantly. Some of the deeper, warmer, intimate conversations that we have in our house is when things are going pear-shaped. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes it's not always about exam results or wanting this and doing that. Sometimes it's son, talk to me in the hard moments. Run to me in the pain. Tell me when you're distressed. I love those conversations too, don't we? In his tenderness, God allows Elijah to pour his heart. A key area of Elijah being so emotionally depleted, I don't know if you picked this up. He's afraid of the threats of the queen who's trying to kill him. He's exasperated by the fact that he has become relationally isolated. Did you pick that up? I'm the only one left. That's not true. There's a remnant of prophets still about. His perception is he's isolated himself. He's ran off. He's gone to the desert. He's laid down under the tree. He's isolated himself. He has isolated himself, and his perspective is that he's isolated himself. He's feeling, he's feeling isolated. He says, am I the only one left? But God gives him a bigger perspective, letting him know that actually he's far from being the only one left who is faithful to God. And sometimes in life, we just seem to, to take ourselves off. In stress and anxiety, we, we alienate ourselves. And he explains that there's 7,000 other prophets, or there are, sorry, 7,000 other Israelites who have remained loyal to the Lord. It's quite a large remnant left. And furthermore, God promises Elijah that a champion will come and a companion will come, instructions to go out and anoint Elisha, who would become his close companion and eventually become his successor, somebody that he'll do life with, somebody that he'll mentor. And God knows what he needs, and he provides for Elijah in every area in his life encounter. And we will see how God, how God, and how with God, there is no need to censor our emotions. There's no need to censor your emotions with God. With him, we can be honest and unfiltered, and we can also trust him with our emotions. And we can also trust that he has solutions, that he has people on the wings, that he has people that can come into our life. He always uses other people. He always will and always can use other people. Now, as we try and wrap this thing up, there are some dials that are going around, a good friend of mine called Bill Hybels. Um, in virtual world, he's my good friend. He doesn't know me, but I know him. Uh, he came up with this helpful image that has helped me, and um, they're just going around. They're gauges on a dashboard, just like a car. Gauges which reflect whether we're running near empty or running near full. A physical gauge, a spiritual gauge, and an emotional gauge. I want you to look at those three gauges this morning. If you've got a pen, paper, I want you to even take them home and think about your life. And we would do well to check those gauges from time to time and pay attention to when one of those are running low. That's all I want to do. So I'm going to give you three things coming into land. I want to talk about how personally I have a tendency to soldier on through life's ups and downs without being attentive to what's actually happening in my life. Anybody else like that? You just sort of batter on? The more I see the short-sightedness of the way of living and the more I've taken the time to read and think about how God designed my life and how he's sharing with me quite personally this last, more probably this last even few weeks about how I'm doing. And I'm not saying I've got everything sorted, but I'm taking care of my life more than I've ever done uh, in the past. And my wife will fight to that, and my kids will certainly fight to that. The reality is that there have been times when one or other gauge in your life has been virtually empty, right? Dials down. But I do feel this is an area where 
where we have to grow and we have to learn to grow, where we can turn the dials back up. All three. And I find that the swings in the dial have become less dramatic this last couple of years for me personally. And if a dial drops, I'm more likely to, to act when it reaches four these days rather than when it goes to, to zero, waiting for the red light to flash. Um, usually with cars, I do the same thing. I always thought the red light on the oil was just to say, hey, you need some more oil. And then mechanics tell me that you should never get to that place, that your oil is empty. So what I do is just share these three things very quickly. They've been helpful to me, and I hope that there will be at least one thing that will be helpful for you today, that you can take something away today and that you'll consider actually intentionally doing. Is that okay? So I've got three things that have helped me. They might not help you, but I'm going to share very personally and uh, a little bit vulnerable. But these three things have helped me physically. And I've said it before, and let me say it again. If you're, if you're sorry hearing this drum, let me beat it one more time. Sabbath, 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 rest, rest, rest. God designed us to rest one day in seven. Our habit, our habit ever since um, we've been working throughout the world and throughout creation, God's habit has always been for society to rest, to rest, and to rest. To take a day off a week. And I have, for the last two or three years, been on that journey of Sabbath. I want to commend Sabbath to you this morning. I want to commend that for the last two, three years, I've always taken my day off when I can. I mean off. No emails, no God stuff, actually just having conversation, but I mean no church stuff, as in the God stuff. No answering my phone. Uh, if it's about football, I'll take it. But take Sabbath, holidays, take them. Apparently most people don't take all their annual leave. The employers allow them. And so I feel spurred on to pass you on that wisdom too. Take your holidays. How many people do not take their holidays in a year? Okay, I don't, if you're a civil servant, please do not put your hand up. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Oh, ouch. No, how many people seriously do not take their holidays? Yeah. And sometimes it's just uh, the environments that we find ourselves in where actually life or the, the, the uh, circumstances just don't allow us to do that. But I, if you can, I would encourage you to do that. Sleep. Sleep. How many of you feel guilt-free to take a nap and sleep? How many of you feel guilty about taking a nap and sleeping? Well, it's in fact, it's really important there what just happened in the room. More people feel guilty about having a sleep than those who do take a sleep. And you know, sleep's designed by God. It says he gives us beloved rest and sleep. Uh, exercise. This is my challenge. I went to the doctor this week and he asked me these questions on the dial. He asked me about my physical life, my emotional life, my spiritual life. And then he asked me about my, ex my uh, physical life and he asked about exercise. I said, mind your own business. Um, but whether it's exercise, diet, sleep patterns or something else, let me ask you, what does, a pay what does paying attention to your physical well-being look like for you? What does it look like for you? God knew Elijah was not going to thrive until his physical well-being had been addressed. And so we're no different. Spiritually, I know, I know I couldn't do what I'm doing without being spiritually healthy this morning, without spiritually connected to Jesus. I couldn't do this responsibly and with great effect. Without having a fatal relationship to Jesus. And now here's the one that Jesus has turned up in me. See, for years and years, I would say I'm an unstructured person, and the people say to me, what's your prayer pattern? And I would say, I'm an unstructured person. I don't have a prayer 
pattern. I don't have a set time of the day to pray. I actually went through this with our life group on um, Thursday morning. Tom challenged us um, effectively and uh, gently. And I would always say that I don't have a time to pray, but you know what? That's a poor excuse for any spiritual leader to, to come out with because I, I, I do find that if we all answered that way, what doesn't get done doesn't get done. And so the Lord's been speaking to me incredibly this last while about prayer. And so I have uh, some people around me that would spiritually mentor me. And so I sent them a text this last few days ago. And I said, hey, help me out. I need help. As a spiritual leader, I need to connect with Jesus more. And he wrote back, LOL, on a text. Laugh out loud. Okay, and then he also gave me some practices that I've been um, enjoying since early days, but I found that I need to get a rhythm. There's no excuse to say, you know what, I'm not, I don't have a set time. Can you imagine not sitting down having a set time to eat, even if you're an unstructured person, or not spend time with your wife? You know, I am unstructured, but I still get up at a certain time in the morning, I still eat at a certain time of day, I still eat at a certain time at night in the evening, I still eat, I still go to bed at a certain time. Even though I'm unstructured, we still need to be intentional about what we do with our time. And I want to say to you, uh, I'm, much, I'm going to try harder. And could I say to you too also, would you try hard in your spiritual life to connect with Jesus and find some space for that? Find the time to engage with people who spur us on in our spiritual journey has been a key ingredient to Michelle and I's life as we lead this uh, vibrant family and love this home. We always need to get around. I want to encourage you to get around people. Don't leave yourself isolated. There are people out there that can help you in your time of anxiety, your time of depression, your time of loneliness. You're not the only person. You're not the only person. Please do not stay isolated. My encouragement to you, my, uh, if I can do anything this morning, is say do not get on your own. Do not be isolated. Get on with people. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, find people that spiritually encourage you, that spur you on to talk about Jesus. How many people, can I ask you a question? How many times in your conversation with your friends do you talk about Jesus? That's one of my gauges. I can hang out with people and the, 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 the Jesus word never comes up. There's some other friends that I get with and all we talk about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it fuels my soul because I love talking about Jesus, but sometimes I don't do it enough. Who in your friendships are talking about Jesus at the moment? Do you talk about him? Do you whisper his name? Do you say he's the best thing? Or do you talk about Vineyard Church? Please do not talk about Vineyard Church if you're not talking about Jesus. It's a poor excuse. We're a good church, but we are not Jesus. He's much better. Emotionally. As with Elijah, let me begin with relationships. I can't imagine doing ministry alone. I love God has surrounded Michelle and I with a wonderful team of people here in the vineyard, with leaders and friends, people that we can do life with. And there's no shortcut to developing the love and the trust that grows within authentic friendship. Friendships need time. And if it gets too busy, that's the first thing that gets squeezed out. Your work will not get squeezed out of your life. Your commitments will not get squeezed out of your life. Your coming to church on a Sunday morning will not get squeezed out of your life your life, but I guarantee you that friendships will get squeezed out of your life, that connections will get squeezed out of your life. It's the first thing that we'll take off the list. It's the first thing that we'll delete in our life is relationship, friendship, and the gathering together. Isn't that true? So, so true. So I want to give you, I said that I would have to leave with a final truth. Are you ready for it? Let's stand. Here's the final truth that I want you to go away with this morning. If you forget everything that I've said this morning, I want you to remember this one thing. 
in the account, we see that having addressed Elijah's physical, his spiritual, and his emotional needs, having dealt with all the things Elijah needed in order to be only led, does God address what Elijah needs to do next? There's a key in that. Here's the key. Here's the key. The lesson here is what we do does not define us. Who we are does. It's our identity. It's about us. We do carry a need for purpose. We do carry a need for challenge in our life at times. And we do live intentionally here on the earth. But Elijah knew that he was called to be, and he was called to be the prophet of God. Someone who would shape history, and he certainly did shape history. But we lose perspective if we lose the fact that God cares about you more than he cares about what you do. We lose everything in a moment if we forget the principle that more importantly than what you do is who you are to the Father. And he sees and he knows and he cares for every area of your life. Before he commissions, he recreates you. Before he sends you or resends you, he creates you in a healthy way again. It's not what you do. It's not what you do. It's who he is and how he loves. So I want the Father to minister to us this morning. Let me pray as the band comes. Let me thank you for your patience. Can I ask you to come along the next few weeks as we touch a little deeper into some of the more maybe difficult areas? Today is just that check. I want you to check the gauge in your physical life, your spiritual life, and your emotional life. Where are you doing? How are you doing? And never, ever, for one minute, think that it's about what you do for God that makes a difference to Him. It doesn't. He loves you. He loves you regardless. He knows your name. He likes you this morning. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you that you're here. That you're with us this morning, Jesus. God, would you just make us so self-aware of where the gauge is low in our lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually. God, we want to be honest before you and with you. God, I pray for everybody here this morning that feels isolated and alone. Would you surround them with healthy friends and people that would point them, keep them on track again. God, everybody that feels like they're drowning this morning. God, would you allow us, as we're honest with you, would you give us great vulnerability in being honest with each other, and that we would find strength within family here, friendships, and community.